Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Today's show is about Hillary Clinton's new hat. Hillary Clinton is sporting a new baseball cap. I think some people are saying she's selling it. And it says on it, but her emails. This is a reference to the fact that some Trump supporters and some civil libertarians like me are saying how can you be going after former President Trump and searching his house and doing all the things that have been done in the light of the fact that her emails, Hillary Clinton's emails, there were more of them. They seem to have contained more confidential material. I can't be sure of that. And uh, there was some evidence that some were destroyed and that bleach was used on others. I am not sure of any of these facts, but there's no doubt, and of course, former director of the FBI, Comey, said, stated, may have cost her the presidency when he said it, that she showed bad judgment in what she, how she handled uh, her emails. And so people are saying, but her emails, as if that excuses Donald Trump. No, no, no. Nobody is saying that. Hillary, you don't seem to understand the argument. The argument is a variation of what has come to be called whataboutism. It's a more general argument. It goes something like this. When somebody argues that somebody has done wrong, the response is, yeah, but, but what about the other guy? What about this? As if two wrongs make a right. Uh, no, two wrongs don't make a right. But when two comparable wrongs are punished differently, then two wrongs can make a third wrong and can make a serious wrong in a country devoted to the rule of law and governed by the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. Equal protection of the laws requires that similar acts be treated similarly and that different acts be treated differently. And so whataboutism turns out to be a good argument in a democracy. And but her emails or what about her emails is also a good argument. It's not an argument that says that Trump's actions, if they are proved in taking 12 boxes from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, that's not an argument that says that's justified by the fact that Hillary Clinton did it. That's not the argument. The argument is that if Hillary Clinton did it and Sandy Berger did it, Sandy Berger, as you know, stuffed classified documents into a sock to take them home, not for a terrible reason. He, he needed help. He wanted to have them available when he did his memoir. Uh, but if Sandy Berger did it, and if Hillary Clinton did it, and they weren't criminally investigated and searched, the <clears throat> whataboutism and <clears throat> but her emails argument is a good one. <clears throat> Why should Trump be subjected to differential treatment from two other <clears throat> people. If anything, a president, when he was president, had the power to declassify 
a secretary of state and a national security advisor don't have that power. Now, we all know that the president is not above the law, but he's not below the law. And a president or a former president should be treated the same as a former secretary of state and a former national security advisor when it comes to how you respond to mishandling of classified information. Now, you know, Hillary Clinton may have lost the presidency because of Comey's statement just on the eve of the election, but that wasn't a formal criminal punishment. As far as I know, no search warrant was ever issued and nobody broke into our home in Westchester County to look to see where the server was and to look to see what emails there may have been on, on the server. Nobody did that as far as I know. Nobody broke into Sandy Berger's a home. Um, and, and so what about ism is a fair, a fair point to make in a democracy devoted to equal protection of the laws. Now, again, it doesn't mean that Trump is innocent just because Clinton may not be innocent or Berger may not be innocent, but it does show that there's something wrong with a system that selectively targets and punishes one person more than other people who are similarly situated. And so first I wonder, why is Hillary Clinton wearing this hat? It just reminds people of her mishandling of information. After all, the opposite of the whataboutism is that it doesn't make her less culpable if Donald Trump is also culpable. It makes them both culpable. And if they're equally culpable, they should be treated equally. Now, maybe the law needs to be changed. Maybe classification standards need to be changed. Maybe there has to be a revision of Justice Department rules as to when searches are allowed rather than subpoenas. I'll tell you one rule that has to be changed. This absurd rule that says that um, lawyers cannot watch a search or that they can't videotape a search. All searches should be observed and watched and videotaped for purposes of assuring not only that nothing is planted, nothing is tampered with, but assuring that the public has confidence that nothing was touched and nothing was tampered with. Justice must not only be done, it must seem to be done, particularly when it comes to high profile figures who may run for president. Now, you know, Donald Trump may very well run for president. Conceivably, Hillary Clinton could run for president. She's not indicated she could, but she's the same essential age as uh, Biden and, um, and Trump. And it's possible she could run. After all, she got more votes than Trump got in the election where she ran against him. So it, it's possible. But when you're dealing with potential presidential candidates, you have to make sure that they're treated absolutely equally. And so the Trump supporters and the civil libertarians like me who are saying, well, what about Berger? What about Hillary Clinton? But her emails, we're right to ask that question. And Hillary Clinton is wrong to try to mock that question by wearing a hat 
that basically says that argument is nonsense. It deserves to be on, on a hat, but it doesn't deserve to be in the public domain or in a court of law or in the court of public opinion. Wrong. It deserves to be in the court of public opinion. It may deserve to be in the law too. There are arguments that can be made about selective prosecution. They rarely work in the court of law, but they can work. Uh, for example, when some people try to trot out the old Logan Act, the Logan Act that says you're not allowed, if you're an American citizen, to negotiate with a foreign country. It was based on you know, Jefferson and, and, and the people back then and the XYZ case and the treaties that were done. It hasn't been used since 1803 or something like that. And even then it wasn't used successfully. And suddenly the Justice Department decided to trot that out to go after a few of the Trump um, uh, people. Uh, no, you can't do that. First of all, there's actually a legal concept that prevents it. It's a strange word. It's called desuetude. Very few lawyers know about it. But desuetude is a concept that says that if a statute, criminal statute, has laid dormant for many, many, many years, in this case, 200 uh, years, 200 and probably 20 years, you can't just resurrect it. Resurrection is for religion. Resurrection isn't for um, uh, statutes that are dead letter. Um, if Congress wants to pass a new Logan Act, it can do so. But a statute that hasn't been used for 220 years can't suddenly be dredged up and used to target a political enemy. Now, that's not quite about what aboutism, but it, it's a similar concept. I mean, the basic point, the point I make repeatedly in my book, the price of principle, which I hope you will all buy uh, and, and review and read. Uh, the point I make repeatedly is that we must have equal application of the law. You can't have one law for Republicans and one law for Democrats, one law for liberals, one law for conservatives, just like we know you can't have one law for white people and black people, for gay people and straight people. You can't have one law for Republicans and one for Democrats. And that applies not only to the strict letter of the law, but to the administration of the law, the practices that are administered, how the Justice Department proceeds. One law, one practice, one policy for all. And so Trump and civil libertarians are absolutely right. When they point to the Hillary Clinton case and when they point to the Sandy Berger case and they say, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. The shoe has to fit on the other foot. These are cliches but they matter. They matter. They're better cliches than two wrongs don't make a right. Um, and, and, and it's very important in a democracy that the public demand, the public demand that the same law that is applicable to one party be applicable to another. The same thing is true of the use of a search warrant instead of a subpoena. If in general, subpoenas are issued in cases like this, then the Justice Department shouldn't depart because they have a political enemy target in their sights. It's equally true of the arrest issues. Um, I'm just reading a book by Paul Manafort called Political Prisoner about how he was treated. Um, you know, he was arrested. Navarro was arrested. Stone was arrested. 
Some of them had to wear shackles and handcuffs. You know what happens in the usual course of event if a white collar person gets indicted by a grand jury? His lawyer, say it's me, will get a call a Monday afternoon at four o'clock and say, oh, by the way, your um, client has been indicted by the grand jury. Um, uh, we'd like you to bring him in if it's convenient tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. No, I'll tell you, it's not convenient for me. How about if we do it on Wednesday? Oh, sure. That's no problem. Bring him in on Wednesday. We'll arraign him. Uh, bail will be set or he'll be released on his own recognizance. And then a trial will be conducted. He's presumed innocent. We're going to treat him like a presumed innocent person. No, not when it comes to Navarro, not when it comes to um, uh, Paul Manafort, not when it comes to uh, Roger Stone. They were presumed guilty. Um, they were arrested. They were subjected to all kinds of criminal-like controls, handcuffs and, and, and other kinds of things. Some of them were put in, in jail pending bail being set. In Manafort's case, not only was he put in jail briefly, but then when he allegedly wanted to speak to a witness, which every defendant has the right to do to try to get witnesses in their behalf under the Sixth Amendment, he had his bail revoked for tampering with witnesses. It's the Justice Department that tampers with witnesses all the time. They threaten witnesses. They give offers to witnesses. If a defense attorney ever did what the Justice Department does for witnesses, every defense attorney would be in prison. Justice Department bribes witnesses to testify, not with money, with something more important than money, liberty and freedom, sometimes life. Sometimes they'll say to a person who is involved in a murder with somebody else, you're going to get the death penalty unless you testify against your co-defendant. If you do testify against your co-defendant, you won't get the death penalty. And that's not a bribe. That doesn't come under the statute that says any law enforcement official or anyone who offers any, anyone something of value for his testimony. Life is not something of value. $20 is something of value, but life is not something of value or liberty is not something of value. So the Justice Department is constantly bribing. There was a case a long time ago in I think the 10th Circuit where one judge said that kind of activity does violate the bribery statute. And he was, of course, immediately overruled because the system couldn't operate without the Justice Department offering bribes. They also offer bribes just to individual defendants. They say, if you plead guilty, we'll give you one year in jail. But if you plead not guilty and you're found guilty, you're getting 10 years in jail, 10 times. What's the extra nine years? It's not for the crime. It's for the chutzpah of pleading not guilty, of confronting the system, something every defendant has a right to do, but it's a right that costs you years. Uh, can you imagine if people walked over to people online to vote and said, I will offer you so-and-so amount of money or liberty if you don't vote, if you don't exercise your right to vote? Um, that would be a crime. And what prosecutors do all the time is say to defendants, if you waive your right to trial by jury, if you waive your right to trial at all, we'll bribe you, we'll pay you, we'll give you years of freedom, we'll give you life instead of death. Why that's not considered bribery, I don't know. And then to have somebody's bail revoked 
because he was accused of maybe making a phone call asking to talk to a witness to find out whether he'd be willing to testify on his behalf. It shows such a skewed system that, you know, the one good thing that's come out of this raid and the Manafort case and these other cases is that right-wingers have now become civil libertarians. They're so upset at what has happened to their fellow right-wingers that they're civil libertarians. I may have told you this before, but, you know, when I was a kid, people would always say to me, you know what a conservative is? A conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. And my response was always, yeah. And a, a civil libertarian is a conservative who's being indicted, whose kids were uh, busted for pot, who have been arrested. There's nothing that makes you more of a civil libertarian than yourself being arrested or your friends being arrested or your fellow party members being searched. And so one of the implications of this, what I regard as improper search uh, of President Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago is that a lot of people who generally accepted law enforcement with no question and were not civil libertarians are now saying, wait a minute, this happened to Trump. It could happen to me. It could happen to my kid. It could happen to my friends. Maybe I ought to become a civil libertarian. Now, there used to be an organization you could join if you became a civil libertarian. It's called the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, but it's changed its name. ACLU now stands for Anti-Civil Liberties Organization if you're on the right or if you're a Trump supporter. If, where was the ACLU with this raid? They should have been on top of it. Where's the ACLU when Manafort had a, had a gag order placed on him saying he couldn't speak to the media? That's a First Amendment violation. But the ACLU and now has a new bother. Speech for me, but not for the speech for the left, but not for the right. So what do you do if you're a conservative civil libertarian? Well, there's another organization that's in the process of expanding its role. It's called FIRE. I've mentioned it before. Uh, freedom, individual responsibility and expression, I think, is there. Um, but that's an organization to support. I'm supporting that organization. I'm no longer supporting the ACLU. I was a national board member of the ACLU. I was the one who was voted to make policy. I was there when they decided to represent and defend Nazis marching through Skokie, a very controversial uh, decision, which I completely uh, supported. Um, not today. Uh, today they won't defend a kid in school who is prevented from speaking or, or me who is present, prevented from speaking at my local library because I once defended President Trump. I didn't even bother to call the ACLU uh, on, on that. I called fire uh, and we're in discussions uh, about that. But um, the ACLU is dead in the water when it comes to civil liberties. And so what's going to emerge is more conservative civil libertarians. And that's generally going to be a good thing. Look, the country is divided into three. The extreme right-wingers who are regressive um, and they don't believe in free speech. And then the extreme left-wingers who call themselves progressive, they don't believe in free speech. And then this middle group, which consists of real liberals, real conservatives, people who follow the teachings of John Stuart Mill and, and other great libertarians, 
doesn't matter whether you're a liberal or conservative. Sure, you're going to differ on the economy. You may be differ on guns. You may differ on climate. But in general, if you're a civil libertarian, you will agree on most constitutional issues. And this middle group, which want to get together, real conservatives and real liberals, must marginalize the extremists on the right and the left. And many of the extremists on the right, uh, I don't know if they actually watch my uh, podcast, but they certainly write me lots of letters. So, so let's turn to those letters now and see what you have to say today. Okay. I'm going to start with something that's uh, utterly unimportant. Professor Dershowitz, you are a dazzlingly, dazzlingly astute legal scholar. Very nice. But if you insist on arguing your case while looking like Alfred E. Newman, you're going to drive the judge and the jury certifiably mad. I'm sorry. My tooth broke. Uh, it was a turtle bite. No, I wasn't bitten by a turtle. I bit into a chocolate turtle and broke my tooth. I'm, I have an appointment at the dentist. I'm trying to get it capped, but you're just going to have to tolerate my Alfred E. Newman look. Um, you just turn off the, 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 the video and listen to the sound if you can't stand what I look like. Okay. Professor Dershowitz, in the past uh, 10 years, I oftentimes did not like what you were saying about civil rights. While I may not have liked what you were saying, in my heart, I knew you were right. Thank you for your educated and unbiased opinion. Well, in a sense, you are biased, biased toward freedom. Thank you again. There are some complimentary ones tonight. Uh, as soon as the story broke the other night, I knew that the Der Show was going to be my first analysis that I wanted to see. Uh, you know, I understand that. I give you the objective, straight analysis. I explained yesterday what nobody else had explained on, on television or in the media, why the search warrant was sought rather than the subpoena. I don't give you uh, CNN, Jeffrey Tubin, Larry Tribe type analysis, which always comes out in favor of the left and the Democrats. I give it to you straight down the middle. You might not like it. You might wish I were more right wing, but sorry, that's what you're going to get if you watch this. I have a question. Here. You have a question. What is it? Yes. Uh, Hillary Clinton erased uh, uh, the uh, secret emails on her uh, illegal server after she was subpoenaed. So uh, it's not uh, comparable. Well, um, we don't know. I don't know the facts. And I know that allegation has been made. I've heard it. I'd like to see the evidence. And if it's true, then, you know, it was a just basis for uh, a prosecution. Um, we have no idea. There's, as far as I know, there's been no allegation that uh, Trump erased anything. There was a picture shown <clears throat> by Maggie Haberman or something of a toilet with something being flushed down the toilet. But, you know, that could have been a personal letter. Personal letters are not covered by um, the statute. So, so we just don't know. But surely there is some comparison. Uh, it, one may come out better than the other, but you can't just say ignore everybody else. You can't make the argument you just have to focus on this one person and don't try to change the subject by saying, what about Hillary Clinton? 
And what about Sandy Bray? That doesn't change the subject. That is the subject. That is the point, if you believe in the equal protection of the law. Okay. Salutations to your wife, who pays for a great husband. Thank you. You all need better friends. Really, remember John Adams defended the British soldiers from the Boston Massacre. But really, it's unimaginable that people would act like that. For sure, that's not liberal. That's entirely illiberal. Look, I assure you that John Adams, whose biographer, um, uh, David McCullough, lived on Martha's Vineyard just two miles from here and died yesterday, the day before. A great man. He did a terrific blurb on my book on Jefferson. I wrote a book called Finding Jefferson about a lost letter. And, and uh, David loved the letter and wrote a beautiful blurb. I used to see David McCullough all the time at the farmer's market and walking around in Chilmark. And I'm sure he would have completely uh, supported me. And he wrote the biography of John Adams. But John Adams wouldn't have been allowed to come to Martha's Vineyard because he defended the wrong people. He defended the, uh, he defended the um, uh, people who were accused of the Boston Massacre. But Judge Reinhardt has now also been accused of the same thing. He defended some secretary of Jeffrey Epstein, so therefore he's been associated with Jeffrey Epstein. Actually, there is a letter about that. Here it is. Wasn't the judge who issued the warrant a friend of yours in Epstein? Some things never change. I never heard of him. Never met him. Didn't know who he was. I'm a lawyer. I represented Epstein. He was a lawyer. Years later, apparently, he defended one of Epstein's secretaries or something like that. Don't assume that just because we were both lawyers for the same person, that we know each other, that we're friends. No, first of all, you're not friends with your clients. You're friends uh, with, uh, you're representing them. They're professional. It's like saying you have to be friends with your patients if you're a doctor. That, that's just not the case. Um, okay, let's see what else we have today. I appreciated this segment, mainly because I see over and over again that you understand the importance of principle. Well, <laughs> I hope so. I don't know what the people who chastise and shun you for defending people they don't like are thinking, but my suspicion is they have trouble with separating their sense of personal morality from the morality of adhering to principle and why that distinction is important. Look, there are three categories of people on, on Martha's Vineyard. There are people who are just too stupid to understand the difference. There are a lot of them. Um, they tend to be spouses, both men and women, of rich and prominent people who married their spouses, you know, for their money or whatever. And these are really stupid, dumb people who get a platform because they're married to a rich woman or are married to a rich man. I'm not making a sexist argument. I'm making it clear that it's spouses of both genders. Just too damn stupid. I forgive them. God endowed them with a very low IQ, and they can't understand the difference between representing somebody and supporting somebody. I understand. That. Then there's the second category of bright people who pretend to be stupid, who pretend they don't understand because they don't like what you're doing. And then the third category are just pure McCarthyites. They say, well, I understand what you're doing. You're defending somebody who we don't like, and, and, and you shouldn't do that. We're going to shun you if you defend somebody. Uh, we don't like. We would have shunned John Adams. We would have shunned Abraham Lincoln. We would have shunned Daniel Webster. We would have shunned Thurgood Marshall. We would have shunned, uh, you know, all all important lawyers. We're just McCarthyites, and 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 take it or leave it. Those are the three categories on the vineyard. And if anybody from the vineyard is watching it, 
Tell me which category you fit into. There is no fourth category. Okay. Yeah. They threw Trump lawyers out because they wanted to plant incriminating evidence. I mean, this is the same FBI that plotted to remove Trump from office and was supposed to trust him. They couldn't give Trump a benefit of the doubt, but they wanted us to give them the benefit of the doubt. Look, I don't think the FBI planted evidence. I don't think they tampered with evidence. I have no evidence to support that. But there's always the risk. I lived in Boston when the head of the Boston office of the FBI and the immediate people below him, uh, some of them went to jail. Others were fired for corruption, for giving Whitey Bulger, the mass murderer, a tip that he was about to be arrested so he could run away. Uh, that guy, John Connolly's in jail uh, still, I think, today. And Morris, the other guy, the second guy in command, uh, uh, got thrown out of the FBI. So I love FBI agents. I know many of them, 99% of them, maybe higher, are honorable, decent men. But you always have the rotten apple uh, somewhere. And that's why you need to be able to watch people. Who will guard the guardians is, is one of the most important statements that comes out of Roman law. Uh, okay. Another, another complimentary one, a true maven. A maven is the Hebrew Yiddish word for somebody who understands. I love your analysis. You explain complex legal issues in such a refreshingly clear and concise fashion. Thank you. I guess I miss civil discourse in today's society. There is no civil discourse. You have to pick sides and then people scream at each other. That's what discourse is about. Larry David meeting me on the porch in Chilmark and yelling at me, you're disgusting, you're disgusting because you patted, you patted Mike Pompeo on the back. He was my former student and I patted him on the back for the work he did on the Abraham Accords, bringing about a hopefully peace in the Middle East. Final one, disinvited from your synagogue? What the hell is wrong with people? That crosses the line more than anything I've seen against a lawyer for simply taking a client that, easy, that isn't even charged with a violent crime. I wouldn't make a difference between violent crime and nonviolent crime. Look, my friend Ron Sullivan uh, is a wonderful example of that. He defended a guy charged with a double murder, uh, uh, a tight end for the New England Patriots. And nobody, he was the dean of a college at Harvard, nobody in the house complained about that. Double murder? What's the big deal? Double murder. We're not afraid of a lawyer for representing double murder. Then he represented Harvey Weinstein, and they said, we're afraid of him. We're afraid of him and his wife because they represented Harvey Weinstein. You know what I say to them? You're full of it. You're a liar. I don't care if you're a student. You're a damn liar. You're not afraid of him. You're just lying about that. And deans and presidents accept the lies of students. They're lying when they said they're afraid of, of, of Ron Sullivan. They weren't afraid of him when he represented a double uh, accused murderer. And they weren't afraid of him with Weinstein. They just didn't like it. And they use fear as an excuse and a justification. Okay, um, see you next week. Maybe there'll be more breaking news like there was uh, over the past few days. In any event, I'll be there and... You'll be there to listen to me and correct me and criticize me with your letters. See you next week.